Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. Hi, I'm Mike Tom with Colleen Hood. By now, you've seen the pictures and the videos. Afghans desperate to escape the enclosing Taliban and people fearful for what the new Taliban rule in Afghanistan will mean. Today's guest is an Afghan-Canadian. He's also a Christian. He's going to tell us what life is like in Afghanistan right now and what the Taliban coming back into power means for Christians. He also wants us to lobby our government officials so that they would focus on getting Christians out of Afghanistan as well. Find out more today on Connections. So Bear Dean now calls Canada home, but he's originally from Afghanistan. And from 2004 to 2014, he worked with NATO, serving as a political analyst and strategic advisor. He still has many friends and family in the country today and has been in contact with them through the present turmoil. Zobair's also a Christian and he's worried for Christians in Afghanistan as they're not getting very much attention internationally right now. What's it been like for you watching the pictures and videos coming out of your home country? It's been really heart-wrenching, particularly that I was part of the NATO mission in Afghanistan from 2004 to 2014. And I continue to have an interest in Afghanistan. So I was a researcher and um, I've done an enormous amount of research into violent extremism in Afghanistan uh, over the past decade and a half. Um, So it is, uh, you know, really heart-wrenching to see that um, whatever we fought for in terms of democracy, freedom, uh, just everything crumbled, um, you know, within the matters of weeks. So um, it has been a really hard, hard-wrenching experience for me. For maybe those who aren't aware, can you just give us a bit of background? What's taken place the past couple of weeks? The United States decided to finally pull their military forces out. And what's been going on since that time? Right. So um, the past year, uh, there's been an uh, ongoing negotiation, peace negotiations that have been happening with the Taliban leadership. Uh, U.S. Uh, primarily have been the lead in that in those political negotiations. Um, the Taliban have been telling the United States that they're not going to be using uh, violence as a means for gaining political gains. Uh, so they've been going against their own words. And uh, in the past the three months have been, uh, you know, conventional warfare happening in Afghanistan. So the full-blown war, uh, the Taliban, the new Taliban, they're fully equipped, you know, uh, they're, they're fighters that are foreign fighters that have been coming into Afghanistan from the neighboring countries fighting alongside Taliban. So, um, Finally, this past week, the government collapsed and the Taliban took over pretty much 90% or 95% of Afghanistan, minus a small province called Panjshir, uh, just north of Kabul that has not uh, has resisted and have not surrendered to the Taliban. Um, so the Taliban are essentially in power, but because they have uh, had no experience in governance and uh, they've been you know, primarily a, a, a a violent extremist group that have been involved in killing and destruction. They have no program. They have no vision. They have, uh, they're basically a, a, an army of people that fought for violent extremist views, and then now they're in power. So that's what's been happening. The U.S. unfortunately withdrew in a rush, and 
And uh, it feels like they have lost the uh, leverage over the Taliban. Whatever that was promised to them was not fulfilled uh, by the Taliban. So uh, they left in a hurry. And in the process, they created a chaos, a very chaotic withdrawal. And it was not an orderly withdrawal. And as you've been watching the images of, uh, you know, people rushing to the airport and uh, people falling off a flying plane and dying, these are the images I, I never, ever imagined would ever happen in my lifetime. Um, because our gains were in Afghanistan was pretty, I would say, pretty solid, you know. It's 2021. And like you said, you don't, you don't expect to see this anymore. You don't expect to see this kind of thing. I remember growing up and watching all kinds of interesting things on the television. What we watched on the news, what we're seeing is... It's unbelievable. Um, what does this mean for the people that are living there now that we're in the situation we're in? I think there's a lot of fear. You know, the Taliban, um, the public do not trust the Taliban because the Taliban have been lying to people. And the Taliban, let's just make it all clear that they haven't been fighting for a for the political, you know, they haven't been fighting for the, an ethnic uh, group. They haven't been fighting for democracy. They haven't been fighting for, uh, you know, their religion, Islam, because Afghanistan is primarily a Muslim country and they have been a Muslim country for a number of years, right? A number of actually, you know, centuries, let's put it that way. So they have been essentially, you know, a, a group of people that have been involved in destruction of, of the country and killing of these young people, uh, you know, persecution and killing of the Christian aid workers. I, I, I'm still scarred, you know, by the memories of losing 10 of my friends in, in about 10 years ago. And, wow. and, and, and they were all Christian aid workers and they were doing an eye clinic in Eastern Afghanistan. And, you know, quite frankly, one of them was shot from such close proximity that she was, she had no face when, you know, they, her body was recovered by U.S. forces. So, um, yes, we, we have to, we, yes, we have to forgive our enemies. Yes, we have to do these things. But I think as, as, as Christians, we have, you know, we have, uh, we have conviction to pray. We have conviction to be practical. And this is a time to be practical. This is a time to be and have voice for Afghan Christians. This is a time to, you know, uh, get the, uh, the, the government to expand or to redefine their category of vulnerable people. Uh, that, you know, they, recently the Prime Minister of Canada announced that they're, they're going to be opening, you know, Canadian doors to Afghan refugees, uh, 20,000 of them. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm really reaching out to uh, Christians to be a united voice, to reach out to the government and say, we want you to redefine the vulnerable, the meaning of vulnerable, vulnerable categories, right? They have included women's rights activists, they've included uh, other religious groups like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Sikhs and Hindus, and also um, civil, uh, civil, uh, civil rights activists and so on and so forth. But the word Christian uh, you know, is not included there. I would very much like the government, the federal government, to reconsider that, to to expand that. You know, to allocate some visas for Afghan family, Afghan Christian families, who are actually, like, no kidding, they are dealing with a lot of danger right now. Yeah, because, yeah. Uh, you know, and um, while the Taliban may be open to recognizing women's rights because they've promised that they're going to be including the women, they don't recognize the religious conversion. You know. They don't recognize someone converting out of Islam. They don't. They don't respect that. The that's called apostasy, and the punishment for that is death. 
you say Afghanistan and I don't think the word Christian often, right? I, I wouldn't even think there's a, a much of a Christian population there. What is the, that reality though? Do you know? Reality is very different. You know, the Afghan church is vibrant. You know, there are people that are Christian by choice. There are people that are, um, they are, they're, they're individuals, either they're fully end or they're not end like they're not lukewarm you know it's not yeah. like a lukewarm christian church it's been it's a, it's a relatively new church i would say past three four decades you know god has been working in that country and um, um you know we've had um, stories of people seeing the the presence of jesus you know jesus appearing to them in dreams and visions but also the word of god has been spreading under this relatively peace time peaceful time you know we have um, a group of educated people and they want to do research for themselves. And they're like, let's just compare notes here. You know, let's compare notes. And I think the message of Jesus of, uh, you know, uh, blessed are, are, are those who are peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. That country has been scarred by war after war since 1979, you know, there's Russians, Americans and Taliban and civil war people are, for peace and that peace is only through jesus christ that that amazing peace is only through christ and people have turned there are people that have turned their hearts to god you know and old and young and and illiterate you know illiterate guys speaking in tongues who have never heard of you know i've never heard of like second corinthians you know like yeah amazing experiences and you know what god is not limited <laughs> you know there may be limitation in us traveling because of covid or because of war but you know what god is so sovereign either we're part of his business or you know what he'll take his business elsewhere Can he <laughs> do it? you know how did you come to know jesus <laughs> i came to know christ you know <laughs> uh, you know i was a refugee in pakistan and um and I, I, you know, I was a, uh, I was uh, reading, you know, uh, reading and reading and reading about uh, God that I was told that wanted me to have all these rules and regulations and, you know, a lot of things, but I didn't find it fulfilling. So, um, you know, a small like institution or an educational institution that I went to, um, uh, one of my teachers, actually, most of the teachers were Christians uh, from the U.S. and from Canada, from various different countries, who so volunteered to work with Afghan refugees and teach them English and all that. So for me, it was uh, having my first encounter with uh, with an African-American. And um, it, this man, you know, my, my dad, my parents were well-educated, my grandparents well-educated. And when we had this man over to our two-bedroom apartment um, uh, for meal, uh, my dad looked at him and he said, are you a Christian, sir? And this man was a little bit shaken up. He's like, uh, yes, I am. And then my dad said, would you like to pray before the meal? Because we as Muslims, we pray after the meal, receiving the blessings. You guys give thanks before receiving the blessings. Do you want to pray? And the man prayed. And when he opened his eyes, you know, imagine an African-American guy. I looked at his eyes. He had tears and his eyes had turned red. And I said, I want to have what this man has. I want to see what this man, like, you know, I want to know. I want to know what this guy has. So for two years, you know, I wrestled with the idea and I read and read and read and I attended the mosque, I attended the church. I was, you know, trying to hide this facts from my parents. Um, and finally, there was a moment that I was standing at the altar of God 
And I had to make that decision because of persecution, because of the hardship that I've been experiencing back then. I was given a choice to either follow Christ or wrap up my book and go home. And I burst into tears when I thought of leaving this guy, Jesus. And I said, I want to follow this guy no matter what. I don't want to lose my peace. You know, I was, I was losing my hair at age 16 and 17 and 18. Like I was going bald because of the depression of war. I said, I don't want to lose what I've gained, you know. So that Jesus, you know, became real to me through the word of God. So that's how I give my heart to Christ. Were you able to also have your family follow along in that path? They all came in different times of, you know, times, uh, different, different times. They had their own journeys, you know, let's just put it that way. Uh, my parents, my sister, my brother, my brother-in-law, my family, my extended family, including my 74-year-old grandmother who saw Christ walking right before her to telling her, you're not going to fall today here in Winnipeg. You know, and she turned her heart to Christ, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, as, as, you know, on her, even on her last day, as she was going to the, to the hospital, you know, on her last days at ICU, she opened her eyes. And this is a woman that has never read the Bible and never read the Bible. She opened her eyes and she'd never heard of these things. You know, we watch in the movies, Jesus standing at the end of the tunnel and whatever the case may be. And she opened her eyes briefly before dying. She said, I see Jesus. I see Jesus in Farsi, in Persian, you know. And that was a really amazing experience for us to, you know, to be a witness of that minute of, you know, my grandmother's life. But throughout her journey of following Christ and loving Christ uh, in her own way, in her amazing, special way. Yeah. Um, you mentioned reaching out to our government officials, asking them to change the definitions and help get Christians out of the country as well. Um, besides that, uh, prayer is so important. We know how can we be praying, though, in the midst of such chaos and heartbreak? What can we pray? Thank you, Mike. You know, um, people are in real danger. And obviously, if you have a wife and children as the head of your family, you are responsible to protect them, right? And this is a moment, I think is a moment of test for um, most Christians out there to fully, fully, I mean, they already trust God and they've already been through this, the hardship of, you know, persecution and difficulty and many challenges, but we pray for peace. Would you pray for peace with, for them? Would you pray for protection over them? Would you pray that God even used them in the midst of chaos, you know? that they be the light and the salt. And would you pray for the Taliban leadership that they see dreams and visions of God, you know, and, and may they change their hearts. May they know, you know, Christ. You mentioned those dreams and visions. And earlier you mentioned people coming to Jesus because they see visions of them. That's one consistent thing I hear all the time about when Muslim people come to Jesus, they've had a lot of them have had dreams and visions of Jesus coming to them. And that is so amazing. Yes. You know, there's dreams and visions, but also the word of God has spread. So it's uh, not just that, you know, limited to uh, dreams and visions, you know, people have access to material. And I pray that, uh, you know, the Taliban government do not shut down internet, do not shut down the social media, you know, there are people that are working 
across the world in reaching out people in the Muslim world using uh, media and technology, you know, to show them the love of God and, and to help them, to support them, to, um, to be the light and the salt when people are dealing with confusion, you know, with fear. And I've been telling my friends, I've been tra- trying to stay strong for them. I mean, I've had my moments where I just break down in tears because I'm helpless, but there are also times that I, I, I want to be a voice, you know, when I feel the anointing of God on me, when I feel mm-hmm. the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God empowers me despite not sleeping for days and being constantly on the phone to help with the evacuation of some of my former colleagues in NATO and former, you know, friends from civil society, aid workers, but God just somehow, you know, empowers me to reach and say, hey, brother, you know, hey, sister, fear is not from God. Remind them, fear is not from God. Love is from God. Protection is from God. God has made this covenant not to ever leave us or ever forsake us. And God is God of covenants. And that covenant, you know, in the New Testament and in, 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 uh, in Matthew chapter 5 begins with blessing. Blessed, 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 blessed. So these people are blessed. You know, they people are blessed. So even despite the chaos, we have to fight for that place of altar, that we can come to that place of altar, not allow the crisis of the world to influence our perceptions of God, but to be in that altar to influence the crisis for Jesus. So that's my prayer. And I pray that all Christians, you know, come together to pray this prayer with me for Afghanistan and for the Afghan Christians. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're going to be doing over the next while to help those living in Afghanistan? I have been involved uh, since uh, late Friday evening. I've been involved with the um, um, being the go-between the um, humanitarian organizations and also uh, the go-between the uh, U.S. uh, Department of Defense and the State Department in facilitating the evacuation of uh, some individuals from Afghanistan. So far, I've had success with two families. There's, yeah, I mean, we have a long way to go. There's quite a bit of disconnect and chaos happening on the ground. Uh, so my intention, uh, you know, I've been working day and night to develop that spreadsheet to sort of taking calls every day to develop that final spreadsheet to be able to uh, present it to the U.S. government to enroll these individuals in humanitarian flights over the next little while. And uh, next little while, again, I'll be advocating uh, for the Afghan Christians and um, uh, in Canada and also elsewhere in the world to, uh, to, to pursue governments to, to, um, to evacuate them and to also provide them the protection they need um, as Christians. Well, we're going to pray alongside you, and yeah, we will uh, put the info out for people to get a hold of their local government representatives, and uh, yeah, please stay in touch with us and let us know any updates of how we can uh, get everyone praying and, and doing other forms of action as well. I really appreciate that, uh, Mike and uh, Colleen, really, really, I'm very thankful for you guys. Thank you.